and welcome back to Looking After Nature podcast. I'm Ashley and I'm a ranger with the Hampshire Countryside Service. Today I'm joined by Dr Zoe Randall from the charity Butterfly Conservation, who's here to tell us about why butterflies and moths are so important to our ecosystems and how we can help support their population. Thank you for joining me. Zoe, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you, Ashley? I'm very well, thank you. Enjoying the heat. Yes. Oh, it's welcomed after after a really cold, long spring. Absolutely. So, can you tell us a little bit about what butterfly conservation do and what your aims are? Butterfly conservation aim to have a place where butterflies, moths and human beings can thrive. And we've got 31 branches across the UK and we're a membership organisation. So people can join butterfly conservation and support our work. So we have a huge army of volunteers out there that they record and monitor butterflies and moths. And they also undertake habitat management work for butterflies and moths, you know, to help them thrive and, and help them survive in the, in the wild. That sounds awesome. So what is it about butterflies and moths that you love so much? Oh, that's a really good question. For me, they look free, don't they? They fly around. They're quite free. The best thing for me after a long, cold winter is seeing the first brimstone butterfly of spring. If I see a butterfly, it's normally a brimstone and it's normally March. And I look out the window and I see that first brimstone butterfly and I think, oh, I've made it. I've got through the winter as have these overwintering, hibernating brimstone butterflies that come out when it warms up. Absolutely. Do you know what? I completely understand. I think they're my go-to is an orange tip. The moment I see it, I'm like, yes, here we are. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's the true sort of harbourer of spring, isn't it? Because unlike the brimstone butterflies, the brimstone butterflies overwinter as adults and hibernate, whereas the orange tips actually emerge as adults in the spring. So they really are the sort of true bringers of spring. But I like to cheat with the brimstone. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I, as a very young ranger, one of the very first naive questions I ever asked anybody was, what's that butterfly with the orange tipped wings? And I had a very like a, an orange tipped butterfly. (laughs) (laughs) So it's definitely stuck with me over the last 10 years. Still, it just makes me really happy. Yeah, no, they are, aren't they? They are. They're joyful. And that, that's the great thing about butterflies is, is counting butterflies. It can be joyful and it's fun and, and it can get you out into new, new places and different places that you may not have been before. Butterflies are really important indicators of the wider health of our environment and our countryside. And if butterflies are faring well, then it means that the less well-studied groups like, you know, the, the beetles and the spiders and other things like that, you know, they can be an indicator of how populations of those other creatures are doing. So what are butterflies and moths and what are the difference between them? Oh, that's a really good question. So butterflies and moths are known as um, in, in, the group, in a group called Lepidoptera, which means scale wings. When you look at their wings and those lovely patterns, zoom in closer, the wings are made up of scales, which are modified hairs. And they're like little roofing tiles that all slot together and they give the butterflies and moths their sort of insulation and their coloration and everything like that. So the difference between butterflies and moths, well, you'd probably be quite surprised if I told you there weren't any really. When you look at butterflies and moths taxonomically, you've got the micro moths, which are the smaller moths, again, a bit of an artificial divide. Then you've got the butterflies. And then on the end, you've got the macro moths, which are the larger moths. So basically, butterflies are sandwiched between small moths and large moths. 
So one could argue that they're all moths, really, including the butterflies. So we've got 57 resident species of butterfly in the UK and two regular migrants, those being the painted lady and the clouded yellow. But then we've got two and a half thousand species of moth in the UK. So moths completely outnumber butterflies. Lots of people think that butterflies fly by day and moths fly by night. But actually, there are more day flying moths in the UK than there are butterflies. And lots of people think that butterflies are really pretty and moths are really ugly. But when you look at something like a scarlet tiger moth or an elephant hawk moth, you can see, you know, the elephant hawk moth. It's my personal favourite moth. It's pink and olive green and it's quite large and they're absolutely beautiful. And you've got the scarlet tiger moth as well. That's a day flying moth. And that will give any handsome, beautiful butterfly a run for its money in the beauty stakes because the scarlet tiger is also really stunning. And we get lots of lots of queries from members of the public. They'll send in a photograph of a scarlet tiger moth and say, oh, what butterfly is this? And then they're really surprised when we tell them that actually it's a moth. They're definitely an underrated species, so to speak. The moths, absolutely, they are. They're the poor relations of the butterfly and they, you know, there are unsung heroes, really. I mean, moths, moths do an awful lot more pollination than butterflies do, actually. And for a long time, I've been saying that moths are the bees of the nighttime and people have sort of looked at me like, you know, but um, actually the, there's a lot, a growing body of evidence now coming out showing that moths do an awful lot of pollination, much more so than they once thought they did. Oh, that's really cool, actually. So what species do we tend to see in Hampshire? Well, you've got lots of what we call the wider countryside butterfly species. So things like the peacock butterfly, the meadow brown, the ringlet, the small tortoise shell. I mean, the small tortoise shell is a sort of iconic garden butterfly with its little blue fringe along the tailing edge of the wings. And you also get some real specialist species in Hampshire as well. So um, the nationally important and priority species, the um, Duke of Burgundy, and also the silver-spotted skipper. And these two butterflies are what we call the habitat specialists. And the reason for their decline is that they are habitat specialists. So they rely on specific food plants and watch to lay their eggs. And these food plants need to be growing in the exact right conditions for the butterfly to lay her eggs and then for the egg to hatch and the caterpillar to feed and, and then metamorphose into the butterfly. So Hampshire's a really good place. Southern England does generally have far more butterfly species than in northern England, and that's to do with the climate. But with climate change, species are shifting northwards. That's probably quite nice people. I think we I think having always lived in the South, I've always been really lucky growing up. You've always had all these species around you. It's something you just saw on a regular basis. So it's not great with climate change. It is it's quite nice that it's almost like people can learn more because it's more in their faces day to day. We touched earlier on butterflies and moths being pollinators. Can you explain what this means? It means that when they visit a plant, they pick up pollen from a flower and the pollen sticks to their bodies and their, their legs and their proboscis and their antennae. And then they will transport that pollen to another flower 
which will help the flower reproduce. Pollination is a really important, what they call ecosystem service. So these pollinators are out doing their day-to-day business, which is actually serving humanity because they're pollinating plants and they're pollinating crops. And without them, we would be pretty done for. I think there's somewhere in China where they've lost all of their pollinators and people are going around hand pollinating plants and trees and you know crops with a little paintbrush. Whereas these, these insects, it's just a byproduct of their existence is that they're pollinating as they go. It is amazing. I don't know what we do without them. Other than pollination, is there anything else they do for our ecosystem? Well, they're really important food for other creatures. So birds will eat butterfly caterpillars. I've quite often seen dragonflies hunting in the garden and they'll snatch a butterfly, adult butterfly out of the air. Birds eat adult butterflies as well. So, you know, they're really important in the food chain. So we've got them as pollinators, their food in the food chain, and also their indicator species as well of the health of our wider environment. So they are pretty important. And also seeing a butterfly, you know, that seeing that first butterfly of spring and the feelings that it can give you like, oh, yes, wow. You know, it's like there's awe, there's relief that we've got through the winter. They're bringers of hope. You think, oh, the spring's coming, the summer's coming. Oh, lovely. You know, and, and also they're seen as um, they're really symbolic as well because they represent sort of transformation and freedom. Can you tell us a bit more about the life cycle of butterflies? Absolutely. So the butterflies emerge in the summer or the spring, depending on whether they're a spring flying species or a summer flying species. So the butterfly will emerge. The males emerge first and they can quite often be seen be flying backwards and forwards, patrolling, looking for freshly hatched females. Once the males find a freshly hatched female, quite often she's mated before she's even had chance to do anything else. So she's like completely swamped by males. She's mated. Then she'll fly off and she'll lay her eggs and depending on the species some butterflies have a sort of scattergun approach of laying their eggs and they'll just bang out eggs all over the place you know into grasses or to vegetation the habitat specialist butterflies will lay their eggs on or near the larval food plant so once the egg is laid they will then sit there for a few days maybe a week And then the caterpillar will chew its way out of the egg case and then will start feeding on the larval food plants. So the caterpillars, they grow, they gain a huge amount of their body weight as caterpillars. And once they've finished feeding and they're at full size, the caterpillars then will pupate. So they will turn into what's known as a a pupa or a chrysalis. And within that chrysalis, the caterpillar will undergo this metamorphosis. And basically within the chrysalis, the caterpillar completely degenerates into sort of a sticky goo it's a really incredible process so it'll just completely sort of liquidize and go into this glue and then it will transform into the adult butterfly and within the chrysalis the adult butterfly has developed and then when it's time to emerge the adult butterfly will chew a little hole in the top of the pupil case and emerge climb out through the pupil case its wings at this point are all all wet and damp and are sort of stuck to the sides of its body and as it emerges they will climb up a grass stem or something similar a stem of a plant and then pump up their wings So the fluid fills their wings and it blows their wings up. It's quite something 
incredible to see. I saw this happen with a moth out in the back garden and, and you think they're just going to come out nicely and slowly, but they just go vroom, vroom, vroom. And before you know it, the wings are out, the wings are spread, and then they just sit there for a little bit basking for the wings to dry out so then they can get up and, and fly around. And then the whole thing starts again. The females will, will be jumped on and mated by the males and, and there we are. So that's the cycle, cycle of the butterfly life. Do you know what? I've never thought about what happens inside the chrysalis. And had someone asked me to guess, that wouldn't have been it. So that's actually really interesting. Thank you. We've already touched on, again, the declining populations. How long have our butterflies and moths been declining? We started monitoring butterflies in the UK in about 1976. And it was the UK Butterfly Monitoring Scheme was established. And that was established by the Biological Records Centre back in the 1970s. So the UK Butterfly Monitoring Scheme is a partnership funded by JNCC and it involves butterfly conservation, UK Centre for Ecology and Hydrology and the British Trust for Ornithology. So transects have been established on lots of sites across the UK and volunteer transect recorders go out and monitor populations of butterflies once a week every week from the 1st of April through to the end of September. So it's quite intensive. Um, so it's 26 weeks per year that these creatures are, are monitored. And then all that data comes in. And then we've got our statisticians that crunch all the numbers and see where we're at. And then in terms of butterfly distribution, so that's where they're found, Butterfly Conservation runs the butterflies for the new Millennium Project. So anyone out there can record a sighting or submit a sighting of a butterfly any place, anytime, anywhere. And that all, all that data then feeds into our systems. So then from the UK Butterfly Monitoring Scheme, we can produce butterfly population trends. And from the Butterflies for the New Millennium Scheme, we can produce butterfly distribution trends. And the latest State of Butterflies report, which was published in late last year and late in 2022, shows that 80% of butterflies are declining in abundance, so how many there are, and or distribution so they're declining, 80% of our butterflies are declining in one or both measures. And that's quite a frightening thought. I know, because they've been declining for a little while. Yeah, some, some are faring really well. And that's a result of things like climate change. Climate change is beneficial to some species, but detrimental to others. So climate change is benefiting some of them, like the, the comma butterfly, which is a, one of our common and widespread species. That has actually increased its distribution across the UK by 94% since nine, since the 1970s and now can be found up you know into the borders of Scotland whereas back in the 1970s it was more it was found sort of in the southern half of Britain but now it can be found in Scotland so that one's spreading northwards you know and climate change is, is helping to drive that but some of our more our more specialist butterflies aren't doing so well. So in terms of the species with the largest decline in its distribution for the past 10 years has been the Duke of Burgundy, which obviously you're really lucky to have in Hampshire. And then that's followed by the high brown fritillary and the grayling butterfly. So they're not doing well. They're not doing particularly well in terms of their distribution. What are the biggest causes of the declines, do you think? So the biggest causes in butterfly and moth declines are habitat loss. So the habitat can be lost as a result of 
direct destruction, so development and, and housing estates, building, urbanizations, that's a major, you know, the habitat's completely gone. Agricultural intensification as well. So we've lost 98% of our wildflower meadows since the war with the Dig for Victory campaign. So all those creatures that used to live in those wildflower meadows have been displaced. There's nowhere else for them to go. So, and again, these wildflower meadows have been destroyed for, for agriculture and also for, for development and such like. Habitat loss can also happen as a result of changing management practices, so changing countryside and farmland management practices. So it may be that a farmer has some land and it's no longer financially viable to graze that land with livestock. So the vegetation becomes longer and ranker, which means the soil temperature is cooler. So the whole sort of microclimate of that site will change and is no longer suitable for the butterflies. The other real big driver of population and distribution declines is climate change. So although some species are faring very well and they are able to take advantage of the warming climate further north, they can move further north. If the habitat isn't available, then doesn't matter how, how encouraging or how enticing these warmer climates are further north, if there's no habitat for them to live in it then they can't go anywhere. And that's a particular problem for our habitat specialists, which is why butterfly conservation, we work We work at a landscape scale. So when it comes to working on the ground, out in the field, we have chosen landscapes, important special landscapes, where there are rare species. And then we can try to join the dots between the habitat patches and the fragmentation, which then gives them corridors and, and sort of stepping stones. So they can move around different habitat habitat patches within a landscape and obviously that that habitat fragmentation again is another driver of population and distribution changes because if those nearest available habitat patches just is too far then the butterflies can't spread there naturally so yes the two major drivers habitat loss and climate change i think we're very lucky where we are because we are surrounded by farmland and all of our local farmers are part of our farmer cluster so they're all trying to get involved and doing their bit we've been to some really interesting farms over the last year and you can actually see some of them have tried to go into grants and it hasn't quite worked out with restrictions but what they've managed to achieve just off their own back has been really inspiring to see it's nice that actually everyone's trying to get involved and make that difference absolutely you know and I you know and it's really great you know there's so much of our so much of the countryside is farmed and so farmers do have a real key role to play in you know habitat management and, and conservation rather than just growing food just producing you know we, we do need to have a much more sustainable approach to our food production to make space for everything out there and I'm a great believer in that we, we are all we all inhabit this planet we are all animals on the planet and that includes human beings we're just another species we're another animal on the planet and I really do believe that we've all got a role to play we've all got a contribution to make towards you know conservation and you know making sure that our butterflies our moths and all of our other wildlife thrive and and if we think about our day-to-day decisions and our day-to-day choices you know we can really make an impact I know there's a lot of people out there that are worried about the state of nature and the state of our environment. Eco-anxiety is a real thing. Climate change anxiety is a real thing. But there are things that we can all do and every little bit does make a difference. You know, there's like little stepping stones, little throw a pebble in the pond and watch those ripples spread out in a positive way. Absolutely. 
So what is being done to help the butterflies and moths populations? Well, butterfly conservation is working across the UK at a landscape scale to restore habitats for butterflies and moths. We recently reintroduced the checkered skipper butterfly to Rockingham Forest in the east of England. Reintroductions aren't something that we go into lightly. They take an awful lot of background work and habitat management You can't just go out and think, oh, right, well, let's just put these butterflies back here. You have to do the work and make sure that the habitat is suitable for them. So once the habitat is suitable, then you can think about the reintroduction. So that was a reintroduction of the checkered skipper not so long ago. So we've got this landscape scale conservation. Butterfly conservation has set up a project called Wild Spaces. And what we're encouraging people to do is plant up a wild space. Now, these wild spaces are permanent places where butterflies and moths can feed, breed and take shelter. So this could just be some pots, some flower pots that, you know, that stay there with perennial plants in them, butterfly and moth friendly plants, which are have got nectar as a food source and also larval food plants are somewhere the caterpillars can feed on. So we're encouraging people to establish a wild space. This can be on a balcony, it can be in your back garden, in the allotment, a village green or your you know community garden or whatever. So wild spaces are, are what we're hoping that people will pledge and, and set up these wild spaces. We also run the Big Butterfly Count every year. And this is the world's largest citizen science project, which encourages members of the public to go out and count butterflies just for 15 minutes. And you can do as many big butterfly counts as you like. This year, the Big Butterfly Count runs from the 14th of July through till the 6th of August. And all you need to do is find a warm, sunny spot and count the butterflies for 15 minutes. You can submit your sightings via the free Big Butterfly app, which you can download onto your smartphone, or you can submit your sightings via www.bigbutterflycount.org. And the great thing about the Big Butterfly Count is it's fun. It's really good to take part for your mental health and well-being. It's a joyful experience seeing butterflies and moths. And it also provides people with a sense of agency and sort of environmental empowerment in these times of eco-anxiety and think, well, what can I do to help? Well, do a big butterfly count or do more than one big butterfly count. You can do them anywhere in your garden, out in the countryside, in a park, a churchyard, out on a countryside walk along the river, wherever. But send that data in and then we use that data to conserve butterflies and moths because you cannot conserve something unless you know where it is. So all of that data feeds into our data sets and we produce all these, you know, the state of reports and, and scientific research and everything to help us understand what's going on out there with our butterflies and also to lobby government and landowners and everything to make a difference and make some changes to conserve our butterflies. So thank you, Zoe. That's been really interesting. Do you have anything else you want to tell us about? I just like to tell people to um, get out there, enjoy nature, enjoy the butterflies, enjoy the moths. And please do, you know, set up a wild space. Go to the Butterfly Conservation website. You can find out more about setting up a wild space and also taking part in the Big Butterfly Count. And if you're really keen, you could join Butterfly Conservation and get involved with our thousands of other volunteers out there doing practical things to help butterflies and moths. 
make sure guys that you get involved in the big butterfly camp we'll put a link in the show notes for you so you can find out more if you enjoyed this episode please make sure to leave us a review wherever you listen as this helps other people find us and if there's anything you want to hear us talk about please get in touch thank you for listening to looking after nature see you next time Thank you.